Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, thank you, choir and orchestra. It's good to have you back. And good morning to all of you here at Central Campus. As well as those of you who are meeting together at one of our regionals around the, the city and in Airdrie and Bridgeland and in the Northwest, uh, and uh, those of you who are watching online. We continue in our study of the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus paints a magnificent picture of what it means to be people of the kingdom of God. In the passage we're looking at today, he reminds us that this is not something that we can do in our own strength. It is something that the Holy Spirit does in us as we submit ourselves to God and ask him to accomplish in prayer. So I'm going to invite you to stand and join me in reading our scripture lesson today. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again for your Son. And Lord Jesus, thank you for the sermon that you communicated to the people of that day and also to us today. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand what it is that you want us to learn, what it is you want us to to apply. Lord, that you would sharpen our minds, that you would uh, remove distractions, and then you would soften our hearts and give us the courage to respond in whatever way you would have us to. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, taken at face value, the verses we just read sound like we have just won the prayer lottery. It raises all sorts of questions. Is Jesus saying here that all we have to do is ask, seek, and knock, and God's going to give us whatever we want? Is Jesus saying here the sky is the limit? That if we ask, we will receive the car that we want, the job that we want, the lifestyle that we want? I mean, let's face it, there are all kinds of TV evangelists and prosperity preachers who take these verses out of context and get rich and famous by assuring people that you can write your own ticket with God. You just name it and claim it. Well, let's examine the context here, shall we? First of all, I remind you that Jesus is talking about his eternal kingdom here. In other words, the focus of Jesus' sermon in Matthew 5 and 6 has been on being salt on being light in the world that we live. It is focused on our character, on our attitudes, our priorities, and our lifestyle. 
and really suggesting it be counter opposite to the world around us. Through his entire sermon, Jesus challenges us to not worship or to store up or to fret about earthly treasures, but instead to invest heavily in heavenly treasures by being outrageously generous with what he's given to us and to further his kingdom purposes to care for the needs of the poor. In other words, when Jesus invites us here to ask and seek and knock, he's not talking about asking for selfish things, carnal things, earthly treasures. He's not appealing to our greed and our self-centered ambitions the way that prosperity preachers do. No, all the way through this sermon, he's been calling us to seek King Jesus and his kingdom and to pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that the lost will be found, that the sick would be healed, and that those in bondage would be set free. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't care about our earthly needs. It's just that he doesn't want us to put it front and center in our lives, to get distracted by that. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and what? All these other concerns you have will be added to them. Which brings us now to chapter 7. Where as we saw last time, Jesus admonishes us to not be self-righteous. To not always be looking for heresy. To not always be looking for faults and blemishes in other people and demonizing people. Rather, he calls us to pray for them, to treat them the way that we would want them to treat us, to talk about them the way that we would want others to talk about us. And then notice, immediately after warning us about not judging in this manner, in verse 7, Jesus transitions to the subject of prayer, which seems out of context, but it really isn't. He extends to us this invitation to ask and seek and knock. And in essence, he's saying here, you're not going to be able to do this in your own strength. This is something that the Holy Spirit will do in you as you submit yourself to God and as you come to him and ask and seek and knock. He essentially says, when you're having a hard time loving and extending grace to someone, come to me and ask me for help. When you're having a hard time applying the golden rule with someone, don't just cave in and do what you feel like doing. No, come to me and ask me for help. And so you see, the reason certain teachers come up with such distorted and unbiblical teachings is because they lift a passage like this just out of its context, all by itself. And and they ignore other scriptures that speak to, to that theme as well. Which is really the two fundamental principles of accurate Bible interpretation. You always compare scripture with scripture. You always look at the context in which you find a passage. And so with that in mind, what principles does Jesus want us to understand about prayer in this passage that we just read together? Well, the first principle is this. Our Heavenly Father is delighted when we come to Him. 
You know, besides my wife, Gwen, there is nothing that fills my heart up more than when the phone rings and it's one of my sons. Our grandchildren and daughter-in-laws are a close second. (laughs) Just this past week, each of our sons either called or dropped by. And I was just thinking about this and just what a blessing it is every time I hear their voice. Our one son called to celebrate something that happened at work and he wanted both me and Gwen to get on the phone. He'd received a special commendation and he wanted to share it with us. Another call to ask for prayer as he's about to spend part of an evening sharing with a neighbor. And what a privilege it was to go to my heavenly father on his behalf and ask God to use him in in, in this relationship. Another son asked for advice on a critical decision that he's grappling with that has huge implications for his future and his career. The other son called to share a need that he had. And after our time together, he texted me, and among other things, he said this, thanks again for today. It means so much to know that you're always there for us and, and that we can come to you with anything. Love you so much. And I sent a text back, which among other things said this, son, one of the joys of being a father is having the kind of relationship with my sons where they still want to come home. And they just feel free to call me at any time and to share whatever's on their heart. In verse 9, Jesus paints the picture of a son coming to his father to help us to understand the kind of relationship he longs to have with us. God loves it when he hears your voice. There's nothing going on in the universe that would keep him from giving you his full attention because you matter more to him than anything. He loves it when the first thing we do in the morning is to acknowledge him, to talk to him, and to thank him for always being there and to invite him to do our day with us. You see, even though Jesus isn't giving us a blank check here in this passage, we need to be careful that we we don't go to the other extreme and only approach God as kind of a last resort. Because that would be, that would just be a shame. No, Jesus wants us to come to his father boldly and freely, without reservation about anything, and to never give up asking, seeking, and knocking. Because the father delights in us. And Jesus wants us to understand that whatever reason God may have for for not responding to our request... The reason will never be that he does not love us, that he does not care, or that prayer doesn't make any difference. A second principle that Jesus wants us to understand is that God desires to bless us. 
In verse 9, Jesus says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, which means you're prone to be selfish, that's the human characteristic. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? One of the reasons that people give up on prayer is because they think their prayers don't make any difference. Perhaps you prayed fervently that a, a family member would live, and they didn't. Or you earnestly sought the Lord in prayer that your son and your daughter-in-law would reconcile their marriage, but it didn't happen. Or you pounded on heaven's door until your knuckles were raw that your, your business would survive, but it didn't. And as a result, you've just kind of given up on prayer. Because your prayers just don't seem to matter. At least from your perspective. God just doesn't seem to care. Well, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus told his disciples a parable. And before he told the parable, he said, The reason I'm telling you this parable is so that you won't give up praying. It's a story of a widow who's in a tough spot with nowhere to turn but to this wicked, uncaring judge. And so she approaches the judge and she says, please help me. And he says, forget it. I'm not going to help you. Get out of here. But the widow persists. She approaches him again and she says, please help me. And he says, no, 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 just get out of here. And she approaches him again and again and again. And each time he says, no, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. Until one day she approaches him again and he says, I am so tired of this woman pestering me. I'm just going to do what she wants so that I can get her off my back. Now many people read that parable and they conclude that they're like the helpless widow and that God is like this judge. He's grumpy, he's mean, he's busy, too busy to bother with my little requests. He's got a universe to run, he's got harps to tune, but I'm desperate and so I better just pester him because I've got no other options. I'll pester him and get all of my friends to pester him until we wear him down. Sooner or later, I'll manage to wrench a blessing out of him. Sooner or later, God will shout, okay, 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 I can't take it anymore. You know, here, here take what you want. Now, you know, it's interesting in Jesus' day, many of the pagans, particularly in Greek culture, they believed that their gods were like this. They were unfeeling, uncaring. They were vindictive. Which is why possibly Jesus actually communicated the parable this way. But we need to understand that Jesus used this parable to say that our Heavenly Father is just the opposite of this judge. In verse 7, Jesus interprets it for us. He says, And will not God bring about justice 
for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Jesus says here, you're not like that widow. In verse 7, he says, no, no. You are God's chosen ones. You are heirs with Christ. You are a royal priesthood. You're not abandoned. No, you're adopted. You're God's child. You matter to him. Jesus is also saying here that our God is a righteous, holy, tender, responsive, gentle, and caring God. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And in short, what Jesus is saying here is our God is not a grumpy, tight-fisted ogre. No, he is a God who loves to give good gifts, who loves to bestow blessing and favor on his children. We need to understand that about the character and the nature of our God. So don't lose heart in praying. God is interested in your prayers because he's interested in you and he cares about you. You know, many people today see prayer as a kind of spiritual fire extinguisher, something you use only in emergencies. It's the one thing you do when you've tried everything else. Like the pastor whose church was in a real mess. It was falling apart. And he turns to his deacon and he says, well, we've tried everything. All that we can do now is pray. And the deacon replied, said, oh no, has it come to that? So often that's the attitude we have in relation to prayer. It's the last resort. Or we pray only when we're facing a major crisis. Because we figure that God just isn't interested in the little things of our lives. And that is so unfortunate. Because there is no greater power than the power of prayer. Prayer can do whatever God can do. That is so amazing when I think about that. As someone once said, you know, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. And that makes all the difference. But here's the thing. God's power will not be released in you. It will not be released in and through your life if you don't ask. If you put your hands in your pocket and say, you know, I, I can do this on my own. If you do that, if, if you rely solely on your own strength and your abilities, just, and just keep trying harder rather than trusting God. You cut yourself off from God's blessing, his peace, his power, and in time, you're going to experience the all too familiar, familiar feeling of being overwhelmed and beaten down and frustrated. Now make no mistake, God is all-powerful. He can do whatever he pleases. However, he has chosen to involve us 
as his children in accomplishing his redemptive purposes in the world. And he involves us first and foremost through our prayers. It's the most powerful thing we can do. There are many things that God wishes to do in and through us, but with rare exception, he has chosen to wait for us to ask him to do it through prayer. The Apostle James says, you have not. Why? Because you ask not. Adrian Rogers says, I believe when we get to heaven, God's going to call us over and he's going to open up a door to this vast storehouse filled with blessings of every kind. And he's going to say, just look at this. Those are the things that I wanted you to have, but, but I couldn't give them to you because you were scheming and planning And you were too busy operating in your own strength and you just didn't come to me and ask. I remember a young man lament to me about how much he wanted to pray more and he wanted to serve the Lord more, but he said he was just too busy. But then shortly after, he fell in love with a sweet young thing. And it was amazing to me the amount of time he was able to carve out of his heavy schedule to spend quality time with her. You know, folks, we all have enough time to do what we really want to do. And when prayer gets crowded out all the time, it says something about how much we really value prayer. And it says something about our relationship with God. Now, take it from me, I'm wired up to be a doer. I'm action-oriented. But I've learned over the years, and it's not been an easy one, let me tell you. But I've learned over the years that time spent alone with God in prayer is never wasted. In fact, your life gets richer. Your life gets fuller. It gets more productive. Your life gets calmer. Because you've invited Jesus to help you and to guide you and to lead you. So Jesus is teaching here that our Heavenly Father is delighted when we come to him. He's teaching here that our Heavenly Father wants to bless us. And finally, he's teaching here that our Heavenly Father wants to bless us with good gifts. In verse 11, Jesus says, If you then though you are evil or self-centered by nature, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The question that many people ask when they read a passage like this is, well, if Jesus wants us to come to him and promises if we ask that we'll receive and promises if, if we seek that we will find and promises that if we knock, the door will be opened, then why, are some of my, why do some of my prayers go unanswered? Well, that's going to be one of the first questions I ask him when I get to heaven, okay? But the Bible does give us some clues as to why that might be. 
One reason that we see in the scriptures is because there's a problem with our request. Notice in verse 11 that Jesus promises only to give us good gifts. He loves us and knows what's best for us. And sometimes what we're requesting of him is the worst thing that we could have, even though we don't see it. Let's face it, good parents don't always grant every request that a child has. Sometimes children ask for things that flat out would not be good for them. Your four-year-old daughter may want to cut up an assortment of vegetables. But any loving parent would not hand her a sharp butcher's knife to do so. And God is no different in the way he deals with us. If we pray with the right heart attitude, God will answer every prayer that we pray. But sometimes the answer will be no. Not because God does not have the ability to say yes, he can do anything. But because it's not his will to do so. We see numerous examples in the scriptures where God just flat out said no. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, in other words, to, in order to deal with my pride... I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, whatever this thorn is, we know it was from Satan, and yet God allowed it to keep Paul humble. Paul goes on to say in verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's a nice way of saying no. The Lord said, Paul, I'll give you the grace you need to deal with this thorn, but I'm not going to relieve you of it because there's so much that I want to do through you, and I will be glorified more, and I will be, and, 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 and I will be able to work more powerfully through your weakness. And so I need to keep that pride in check. Matthew 20, the mother of James and John came to Jesus and asked if she could make special reservations for the two best seats in heaven next to his. One for each of her sons. And Jesus then, she said, no, wrong request. Now that's just a sampling. But my point is, we are capable of making wrong requests. And when our requests are self-serving, materialistic, and, and short-sighted, when they just revolve around the kingdom of this world rather than the kingdom of God, the Lord will often say no. Ruth Graham, wife of Billy Graham, she's gone to be with the Lord, but she once told an audience in Minneapolis, God has not always answered my prayers. If he had, I would have married the wrong man several times. On the other hand, if the timing is wrong, God will say, slow, just wait. In Isaiah 55, verse 8, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, your ways my ways. 
Friends, we just have to trust God's timing on things. Remember, his delays are not necessarily his denials. He has reasons for saying, not yet. Secondly, sometimes our prayers go unanswered because there's a problem with our motives. James put it this way, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, he's saying you're focusing on the wrong kingdom in your request. James says if your motivation for your prayer is for your own pleasures to have, to have more of what you want rather than what you need then you're probably not going to get what you're asking for. In verse 4, James says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? And James uses the word picture here of adultery to help us to understand how God feels about this when we come to him with wrong motives. Adrian Rogers again says, Suppose a couple by the name of Don and Sue get married. And on their wedding day... They say vows to each other that they will be faithful to each other until death parts them. And let's say a year later or so, Sue falls in love with George, and she and George begin to have an adulterous affair that Don, her husband, is very much aware of. And now suppose that somewhere along the way that Sue comes to her husband, Don, says, you know, Don, I'm, I'm running a little short on cash. Would you mind giving me some money? And, oh, and by the way, George and I are thinking of going away for the weekend. Could, could I borrow your car? Do you think that her husband, Don, is going to give her what she requested? Of course not. And that is what James is saying here. He's saying when we fall in love with the kingdom of this world and then we come to God and we make these selfish requests for, uh, 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 you know, where our focus is on the, on the temporary rather than the eternal, the answer is going to be no. And then thirdly, sometimes our prayer goes unanswered because there's an idol in my life. In Ezekiel 14, verse 3, God says, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? And the Lord is saying here, if we are more in love with counterfeit gods or idols than with him, he won't hear our prayers. An idol is anything that takes the place of God and becomes the object of our affection. Some people park their idols in their garage. Other people build their idols near lakes. Some put their idols in the bank. Some make their children their idol. Others make pleasure their idol. Others marry their idol or have an affair with their idol. God says, if you want to have a healthy relationship with me, if you want to hear from me, if you want to be blessed and empowered by me, then I must be the object of your highest affection. 
He says, your career, your girlfriend, your money and possessions, your ministry, your children, everything needs to be held with an open hand. Fourthly, the Bible teaches that our prayers will go unanswered if we fail to be generous. Proverbs 21 verse 13 says, Whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Church, God is committed to building his kingdom, to building his church. A people who reflect God's character, who are passionate about God's mission and God's agenda and are concerned for the less fortunate. When we are generous toward the mission that God has called us to, to introduce people to Jesus and help them to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus who are committed to accomplishing God's redemptive purposes in the world, which includes a passionate concern for the less fortunate, then God will hear our prayers and he will bless us in return. If our focus is just on our little kingdom and our little agenda and that's all that it's about, we're in trouble. Fifthly, sometimes our prayers go unanswered because of the way we're treating our spouse. Malachi 2.13 says that if you're unfaithful to your spouse and continue to be unfaithful to your spouse, which could include an adulterous physical or an emotional affair, it could include an affair of the mind through a two-dimensional photograph or through video. When you're unfaithful to your spouse, says here, God will not hear your prayers. The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, that our prayers will be greatly hindered if we mistreat our spouse. If we grow slack in meeting their needs as the Lord calls us to in his word. When we know, when we're aware of the need of our spouse and we just ignore it, our prayers are going to be hindered. Francis Chan tells of a time a fellow approached him for prayer. And he said, my wife and I haven't been getting along. Things just aren't right. And, and so I've decided just you know, to accept a job opportunity in, in, an, in another state. And, and so I'm going to leave my wife and my family. And I'm just wondering if you'd pray for me that, that I would have a, a great new start. And Chan replied, you've got to be kidding me right now. I'm not praying for you. God clearly says in 1 Peter 3, 7, he's not going to listen to your prayers if you aren't honoring your wife and if you're not supporting your wife. Chan goes on to say another person came up and asked him to pray for healing. And he said, do you have anything that you need to confess? And the fellow said, oh, well, there's this little business thing, but, you know, I think I got that fixed. And, yeah, there's this other thing here, but, yeah, I think I got that worked out too. No, I'm good. I've confessed everything. And then just before they started to pray, he says, this fellow said, oh, well, there's just one more thing. I'm living with this girl. And Chan said, you claim to be a Christian, and she claims to be a Christian, and you guys are sleeping together? And then he said, let me ask you something. 
If you were sleeping with one of my daughters out of wedlock, would you have the nerve to come up here and face me and ask me for a favor? And this fellow said, ooh, he says, I never thought of it that way before. And Chan said, don't even think of approaching God until you have repented. He won't hear you until you do. God is a forgiving God. He's an awesome father. If you mean it and you're prepared to change your ways, he'll forgive you. But until you do, there is just no way that I'm going to pray for you about this. Now, let me be clear at this point that the Lord's not calling us to be perfect people. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. I sin and I mess up most days. However, when I sin and the Spirit draws it to my attention, if I don't ignore it, if I don't rationalize it away, if I acknowledge it and if I admit that I did wrong and I confess it to God and I turn around and I go the opposite direction, which is what it means to repent, then all is going to be okay in my relationship with God. And I can know that he's hearing my prayers. That's what Paul meant in Hebrews 10, 14, that we're being made holy or being sanctified in this life. On the other hand, if I have a disobedient, rebellious spirit that says, you know, I'm just going to live the way that I want to live. I'm going to give God a little of my leftover time, a little bit of my leftover energy, and a little bit of my pocket change, but I'm going to do what I want to do. If I rationalize away my sin, or I just flat out say, I'm not going to give this up, I'm not only dishonoring God when I do that, but he's not going to hear my prayers. Isaiah 59.2 says, but your iniquities, your sins... Your rebellion, your disobedience have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so he will not hear. Friends, Jesus makes it clear here in Matthew 7 that our Heavenly Father loves to hear our voice and that like any normal, loving, earthly father, he wants to bless us with good gifts. He loves us. He has our best interests at heart in all things. He can be trusted because he's totally trustworthy. If our prayer isn't answered, it's not because he's vindictive or that he loves to make us miserable and make us suffer. No, sometimes his answer is just a flat-out no. Sometimes his answer is wait. And sometimes the problem is with us. It's, with, it's a problem with our heart our sense of self-sufficiency, our love of counterfeit gods, and just plain sin and selfishness and rebellion and disobedience in our lives. You know, this Friday we're having another concert of prayer. And we're going to be interceding for our city and for our world. We're also going to be praying for people's healing. And, and you know, in light of this teaching, I'm convinced that the answer to our prayer requests has less to do 
with the prayer that's offered by a pastor or by someone that's praying here, although that's so important. But I think it has less to do with that and it has a lot more to do with the state of the heart of the person that's being prayed for. And you know, sometimes the most powerful thing that a person can do who is seeking healing or a touch from God is to first spend extended time with the Lord alone at home and to ask the Spirit of God to reveal any rebellion or idols or disobedience in their lives and to deal with that stuff. So many times we come and say, oh, please pray for healing or pray for this. Pray that I might get an answer for this and that. And, and, and you know, you do it, you know. Your prayer is going to do this. I'm just going to keep living, though, the way I want to. You know, sometimes we can get discouraged thinking about all the marriages and the families that are breaking apart. The violence, the hatred, the injustice that seems to be escalating in our world. And we cry out in frustration. We say, God, where are you in all of this? And God says, I'm still here. I'm still committed to my word. I still want my will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. However, I have ordained that if my will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then my people need to ask. They need to seek. They need to knock. I'll close with this. I've had a prayer journal for decades. And there are periods of time when I set it aside because I don't want it to become a ritual. But I've had it for decades, and I still remember the day that I decided to stop praying for my two brother-in-laws. They were far from God, and I'd been praying for them for over 10 years. And it just seemed to me that my prayers weren't doing any good at all, because with each passing year, they just seemed to get worse. More callous, more distant from God. And one day I just said to myself, you know, why am I doing this? They're not going to change. And I decided that was it, and I, I crossed out their names in my prayer journal. A short while later, one of them showed up here in Calgary, asked to meet me. It was all broken up. And a few hours later, he left my office, a new creation in Jesus Christ absolutely mind-boggling. A couple of months after that, I got a call in the middle of the night, 1.30 in the morning, from my other brother-in-law informing me that earlier that evening he had surrendered his life to Christ. An absolute miracle. And to think that I actually let Satan convince me that these guys were too far gone beyond the grace of God, that my prayers weren't making any difference and that God wasn't able to transform these two guys from the inside out. I had to ask God to forgive me for my lack of faith. 
and my failure to understand his deep, deep desire to give us good gifts. Friends, regardless of your circumstances or how hopeless you may feel about a situation or a person, bring it to the Lord in prayer. The Bible says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. Your prayers make an immense difference. Pray confidently because the prayer of a righteous person is heard by God and we know that he's at work behind the scenes whether we see it or not. Pray consistently and persistently because prayer does change things, including you and me in God's time and in God's way. Would you bow for head? Would you bow for prayer? Some of you are sensing God calling you to a closer relationship with himself. God wants to be your friend. He wants to release good gifts to you. He wants to release his love and his joy and his peace, his power into your life and mine. If you want more of Jesus in your life, if you want to draw closer to him and begin a whole new relationship with him in prayer, I'm just going to encourage you to to make your way up here and spend some time with him. Talk to him about this area of your life. Don't just head out to the parking lot again and go home and just keep living the way that you have. Let God begin to transform you. Others of you are thinking about a son or a daughter, a parent, a friend, a spouse, a neighbor, that God has burdened you with, someone who's far from God. And maybe you want to come up here and just pray for them and bring them to the throne of grace and renew your commitment to keep praying for them. Maybe you need to confess that you've quit praying for them as I did. Maybe you just feel this renewed burden to not give up praying for them. The altar is open. We're going to wait for a moment just for anybody that wants to slip out of your seat, spend some time with the Lord here, and then I'm going to pray and our service will come to a close. Just come right now. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you again for sending Jesus. And Jesus, I want to thank you for living the perfect life, for dying on the cross, for rising from the grave, and through all of that, giving us eternal life through faith in you, but also for the resurrection power that is available to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for making it possible for us to have a close relationship with you. I want to ask, Lord, that you would forgive us. You would forgive us, Lord, for the rebellion, the disobedience in our lives, the prayerlessness, where we have exercised little faith, where we've been so afraid of being disappointed that we haven't even asked, or where we've believed the enemy that our prayers don't make any difference. I pray right now, Lord, for those who have come forward, whatever it is that is on their heart or whoever it is that's on their heart, oh God, that you would honor 
the humility they've demonstrated just by coming here. That you would honor the desire, the sincerity of their heart by blessing them with good gifts. And Lord, I'd ask that you would remind us often to pray for those in our lives that we might not lose hope, but we might remember that you are working behind the scenes in the lives of these people. And so, Lord, we thank you for the words, these words here in your sermon, the reminder that your arms are always open to us, that you are a loving Father who just loves it when we come home. When we call you up and we include you in our day. Thank you for reminding us that you want to bless us. You want to give us good gifts. That is your heart. Help us, Lord, to get on track with your kingdom purposes, to align our prayer life, our priorities with your kingdom purposes, to seek first your kingdom and, Lord, to trust us with all of these other concerns that we may have. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you. Give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.